All right, welcome back, guys. It's Food News and Choose Radio. I'm Jeremy Ashby. This is Sylvia Lovely. And we have Dan Wu, our special guest today. Yay! He's no stranger to the radio show and to Lexington. He's uh, president of our city council. Yeah, known as a vice mayor, but that's really not exactly your that's role, right? right? That's right, yeah. Uh, clarify that for everybody. Yeah, so the my title is vice mayor, and it's also council at large. Mm-hmm. We have three at-large council members that um, kind of cover the whole city instead of a district. Uh, and the in the at-large race, the top vote-getter is also named vice mayor. So I'm kind of formally slash informally the head of council, but I don't actually work for the mayor or in her office. So right. it's, it's right. a little confusing to people. You can almost think of it more like if the mayor is the president, I'm like the speaker of the house, something like that. Yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And so you take kind of the policies of the council That's right. uh, and, and take that mm-hmm. on. And what inspired you to, because you were in the restaurant business, I know Chef wants to talk to you about ramen, because that yeah. was your most recent, but what inspired you to run? Um, or, and I, thank goodness you did. Honestly, uh, coming from the restaurant world, I may be a little bit of a glutton for punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so, I was going to yeah. say. You know, there's yeah. definitely that. Um, for me, having been a restaurateur and having been in food for a while, um, always at the same time, I'd always thought about um, staying connected with community, um, doing fundraising, doing advocacy, activism, um, supporting all the really great organizations we have in town. Because active service is what our industry was about. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and taking everything. Yeah, you know, that's like. right. And I've never liked the term giving back because it feels weirdly transactional and it feels like I've been taking and now I need yeah. to give back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not how I feel about it. And so more and more I started, you know, thinking about different ways to make the city better, more inclusive, more prosperous. And my goal is always to be impactful. So I've never had a lifelong dream to be a politician right. or anything like that. So when the opportunity came up that we knew there was an open seat for at large when uh, our vice mayor, Steve K retired, right. um, I was like, okay, this might be an opportunity. And then I asked some friends that I trusted, and they were all like, yeah, this sounds like a good time. And in a weird way, in a twist of fate, um, you know, 2020 knocked us all in the teeth in this mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. It shut Atomic Ramen down at the summit. Sure. Uh, and at that point, my contracts at UK were also kind of changing and morphing, and suddenly I had time and to energy to think about it. Yeah. Right. So honestly, if COVID hadn't come along and kind of knocked me out of the restaurant business. You wouldn't have been I, on this path. I wouldn't be on this path. But you know, just one more thing about that, though. You ran a phenomenal campaign. I mean, most people run over and over to get to where you are. Mm-hmm. This was your first time. That's right. That's well, amazing. I think that speaks to, you know, how much of a community advocate Dan is. And I'm excited uh-huh. from my position when I saw him start running. I, we messaged a couple times. I'm like, yes, this is beautiful because we got mm-hmm. one of us, so to speak, mm-hmm. kind of yeah. probably with a, a conscious mind about small business, about restaurant tours, yeah. about storefront, which is, you know, still the heartbeat of America, in my opinion. So, you know, thanks, Dan, for your service in that aspect. So, I mean, broaden our eyes. What what issues do you see guys like us, um, restaurateur chefs, facing from the council level? I, I think for me, coming from the restaurant world, coming from the service industry, my perspective has has always been kind of very ground level, right? I when I think about business development, I don't necessarily think about what's the next giant company that we can draw to Lexington. I I think about what can we do to support all the small entrepreneurs, all the uh, immigrant-owned businesses, uh, the restaurateurs, the independents, not the chains, you know. And so my, my, my 
eye level and my heart is always kind of right there and wanting to really support this industry, which took it really, really hard in the last two, three years. Sure. I mean, a lot of us barely survived and a lot of us didn't survive it. Yeah, yeah tell us about kidding. that because that was, that's how yeah. we knew you in your past life. And I mean, now- yeah, we're recording this like about a week after March 16th and any of us in this industry remember New March 16th. Yeah, yeah, Chef, man. we remember that, don't we? Like, it's ingrained in my mind. I mean, yes. yeah. in, I in tears out in front of my restaurant world. holding yeah. my kids, thinking the world was ending, yeah. Yeah. but I wasn't going to be able to provide, period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The night before, I had made an Instagram post changing our hours because things were getting swirly, yeah. mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. like, I guess it was I'm going sh- yeah. to shorten my hours. And literally the next day, Governor Bashir put out the, the order for no more dine-in. Uh, and where I was located, the way we were set up, it just wasn't going to work. In that do, barn-like thing at the summit. Yeah. Partly because we were one out of six or seven businesses, so we kind of sink or swim together. And the second part is ramen is just not a great to-go food. Like, right. Period. Oh, that's true. I When I opened Atomic Ramen, I almost considered for a minute not doing to-go at all. Right. Because – 15 minutes in your car, it turns into a completely different product when you yeah. get home. It's like French but fries. It kind of loses yeah, its and Probably integrity. worse. Well, okay, let me say, French fries, you can throw in your toaster oven That's true. and get them back to yeah. life. Ramen, what happens is the noodles absorb too much of the broth, so the noodles are completely soggy. They don't have that bite anymore. And then you've lost part of the broth, and the flavor balance is all off, and it's just, it just, you know, I offered it to go because I kind of had to people ask for it yeah but to turn into a complete to-go business was just not going to be feasible at all for me and quite frankly I mean I don't blame him just knowing the the business and the Mm to-go where he would have to use I mean because I mean you obviously you know you get around it by putting the noodles separate in the broth but that doubles your packaging which is to go is the most expensive food the restaurant sells um I started to pay attention on a year into the pandemic you know at first it was like okay i have to buy whatever i can actually find mm-hmm. you know styrofoam all these planet killers and all to, that uh, junk sam's club yeah she was running to sam's <laughs> for me you know like at opening to see if we could get anything but you know you're talking about two to three dollars mm-hmm. in to-go packaging sure and when you're dealing with ramen you know which is, is yeah, traditionally you know a street food you're talking 10 to 20 dollars depending on it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And, and, and on top of that, up. even if you package it separately, if you cook the noodles first, well, by the time you get it home, it, it's, a, it's a clump. It's this glutinous right. clump. Yeah. If you don't cook it, then you have to give people instructions and mm. trust that they can pull it off. And then you could and create bad will if they can't exactly. pull it off. Exactly. And yeah. if they can't pull it off, it's still my fault. It's your fault. Buddy. It's right? always going to be no your fault. No matter what, it, yeah. it's still yeah. my fault. So I was just like, I don't want to, I can't deliver a product that I'm, you know, that doesn't match what I'm trying to do. When did you officially close? So we shut down the 16th, like a lot of folks, and I told my staff, and it was a, such a rough yeah. couple of months to to look your staff in the eye. And, you know, and when you're a small business, you know, at that time, even with the U.K. locations, I had maybe 12 employees. Like, Oh, that's were, right. You had the U.K. Yeah, location, too. we were too. a small team. Everybody knew everybody. I knew everybody's stories. And, you know, nobody could take just being laid off like no. this at that time we didn't know what the um what the benefit situation was and what the unemployment situation was so i was like i'm going to help you all navigate through that system um ppp loans hadn't come through mm-hmm. yeah we had no idea we, that was we coming. didn't have any of that stuff and so it's so hard to have that i mean we live 
with enough uncertainty anyway. Mm -hmm. But to be able to say like, well, we're going to close and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And what happened was finally, um, I I think it was late May. It was like May 25th-ish. And and then here we had been having conversations already with my other friends in the barn, uh, the other business owners. That's right. So we've had constant conversations. And then after March 16th, we did sit down multiple times and be like, what do we do? Right. And we basically, the majority of us were like, yeah, we can't do can't this continue. anymore. Well, you can't. There's no, I mean, the numbers yeah. don't add up yeah. and you can't get the traffic. And so that's pretty much And that barn situation, if you guys remember, this is the summit, the mm-hmm. large barn. It was called the food barn, probably mm-hmm. the most exciting food news it that I had heard. News, yeah. First food hall for, in Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, this is this is what big cities have. This yeah. is going to mm-hmm. lo- offer a lot of diversity. Dan was going to have a shop. And we were, we're going to see local. lots of little pop-ups. All local. Mm-hmm. All local is a great idea. And, and this thing just completely pulled the rug. Mm-hmm. Com- yeah. for, I mean, food halls were the next big thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I was in an interesting situation because you had folks like uh, Smithtown and Crank and Boom, mm-hmm. um, and Athenian, where this was not their first and only location. That's right. Yeah. So they had some ability, and I'm not you know saying they had it easy, but they had some ability to kind of contract, correct, and kind of go back to basics yeah. and okay, let's just focus on one location. Um, whereas folks like me and um, Whiskey Bear, mm-hmm. this was our only was little shop. Only I had those sort of extensions at UK, but they weren't full-on restaurants. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it was just like, I don't know what to do. And having that UK contract got me through it. The PPP loans got me through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of the, uh, the contracts at UK started to change. I mean, they literally, UK got hit hard too, because suddenly like, oh, all the kids are going home. Like, so we True. ended our spring semester early. Yeah. So, you know, I got, you know, I wasn't getting checks after that. And then when we came back for fall, we were to go only um, the the number of meal cards or whatever they sold was a lot less. A lot of students left. So my contract got cut and mm-hmm. it just is what it was. It's right. just like, we'll keep you on, but you're getting paid this now. And I don't blame them for it. It just is what yeah. it was. Right. So everything contracted. So. At the same time of me sort of thinking about what else can I do to, like, make the city better, what are uh, my best ways to be impactful. So it's just like this interesting convergence of just, like, this stuff is going away, but I have this other thing on the horizon. It just really worked out. Wow. It's kind of almost meant to be, Dan, you know, in Mm. some ways. You know, I think we all kind of have those feelings coming out of the pandemic is, and this was awful. People died Mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. But certain things changed. Mm-hmm. Certain things changed, certain and they things... have impacted forever in, in right. restaurants, and and, uh, and and they're coming through. Some, you know, but I think you have your normal attrition. You're going to have sure. that anyway. Uh, but you know, brought on new challenges. Supply chain then replaced mm-hmm. the pandemic, All and the then costs are, uh, cost of everything. Cost of up. everything has, has I'm, skyrocketed. I'm finding this in the in government just from. Um, certain projects, capital projects yeah. that we have that were bid out a year mm-hmm. ago and now are 20, 50, 100% more than what they were. It's pretty nuts because um, I've been a scrambling mess for about the entire year of 2022 just trying to level costs and expenses. Mm-hmm. You know, food got incredibly high in certain mm-hmm. areas. And I think Eggs, the wholesale cheese, market got hit <laughs> harder than the retail market, mm-hmm. I, you know, because retail comes first and it should, you know, the grocery mm-hmm. stores. Mm-hmm. Um, but eggs, bacon, you know, double, triple oil. I remember it, we went through the cream cheese, right? We couldn't find it. Yeah. yeah. Cream cheese. But, um, did, did you all make major <laughs> menu changes? 
Yes, and I would every time I would make the menu change, I think everybody else had the same thought because they were just getting beat <laughs> to death. So it would change, and then those prices would go up, and it was mm. just a constant moving yeah. target. Whereas labor was also, yeah. uh, you know, I, honestly, I feel like labor was correcting. Mm-hmm. You know, not that's true. You know, yeah. uh, that's uh, and it is what it is. But you know, 2022, the expenses are are absolutely are insane, and it and now we're leveling out in terms of the food and the labor. We've kind of figured out a yeah. new business and game plan. But your overhead, the things you don't control in the restaurant, yeah. the gas, the lighting, All you know, going up. it's yeah. not coming. It's not out. coming down. And I'm trying to figure out where where it is but yeah so so tell us about back to being uh, where you are now never had been a politician Mm -hmm. what's the day in the life of the vice mayor what do you do on a daily uh, basis meetings 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 meetings, scheduling more meetings um what's been really interesting is like when you're not inside um uh, an institution or an industry uh, you, you kind of see it from the outside so my perspective was like a lot of regular folks it was just like government is slow mm-hmm. like why do they do things yeah, so right. slowly why can't they make decisions and act especially coming as a small business owner if I want to do something you I think it. about it I I talk to some friends who are knowledgeable I make a decision 70% rule yeah, yeah buck stops with me if I screw it up okay I'll try something else mm-hmm. lesson learned here, especially with council, there are 15 of us. Mm-hmm. So it's always about building consensus. I am mm-hmm. um, a very impatient person when it comes to like projects and ideas and progress. And so I've had to really slow my role and realize like I can't just come up with an idea and execute it. It takes partnerships, it takes money. Uh, we have a six month budget process. And now that I'm in the middle of it, I realized like, oh yeah, we're charged with spending half a billion dollars of taxpayer of responsibility. money. So yeah. of course we have to build in accountability, we have to build in um, uh, consensus, we have to figure out, you know, it's a zero sum game, we're required by state statute to have a balanced budget, so we can't just spend That's whatever right. the heck we want. At the end of the day, it has to zero out, and if you wanna add to a program, you have to take away from something else, and it's always competing priorities among 15 people and the administration. Um, So it's such an interesting balancing act. Um, So, so much of my job really is- A lot of one-on-ones with like- A lot lot of one-on-ones. For me, the first several months, so I've been on this job about 10 weeks now, which is not a lot of time. No, Uh, (laughs) yeah, you got um, it. And you look pretty good though. I mean- (laughs) Thank you, yeah. Well, honestly, uh, I I was having this conversation with my legislative aide yesterday, and I said, Tori, 10 weeks ago, would we have had this exchange that we just had where um, I think one of us said like, hey, I think we can do suspension of rules to give second reading to all the resolutions and ordinances (laughs) except for the budget amendments. Uh Yeah, what did you say? Exactly, would we have said that sentence 10 weeks ago and understood any of it? Yeah, Yeah, I'm used to him saying, you know, you simmer for a little while, depoyage off the top and reduce by half to a dim here. Yeah, exactly, I need that, I need the french fries on the fly. Right. right? But it's the same stuff, right? It's just like, so, so I feel like we've got our, legs under us a little bit, uh, and now we can really kind of focus on process. But in the meantime, like my first, so two days after election, I gave myself a day off after election day. Two days after election day, I had my first meeting, and I just started meeting every director, every commissioner. Because you didn't officially take office until January. January, correct. But I knew, especially as, as vice mayor, 
I kind of didn't have the luxury of just kind of rolling in, sitting back and being quiet and watching. I knew that from day one, there would be meetings that I had to run. There would be decisions I had to make. I had to set all of our standing committees. Uh, So I wanted to get ahead of the game as much as possible. So I did a whole just tons of meetings with anybody that I needed to know. Talk to me about budget. Talk to me about the environmental services. How does the fleet work? You know, talk to me about the fire department budget, everything. Uh, and I love it. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a sponge. I love bringing all this all new information knowledge. in yeah. and being able to like have some sort of power to do something cool mm-hmm. with it. So I know that um, you know you're ten weeks in and, and getting your feet together. But how how would you? Is it even comparable to the restaurant industry? How would you rate it in terms of difficult? I know physically it's probably not demanding like the restaurants are, but uh, overall, mentally it, I would think it, maybe yeah it's it. I think mentally, so here's the thing I thought about, because like the hardest thing for me running a restaurant wasn't being on my feet. Mm -hmm. If I could come into your restaurant right now, you could put me in the dish pit for 10 hours and I'd be happy as a clam because you can just kind of put your head down, do your work, you know, plug in your headphones and you don't have to like think about staffing and your costs and why is the walk-in cooler not working and those are the kind of things that were the most stressful the things that kept me up at night I had to think about because I'm in charge of all this stuff so with this job too it's it's not so much the physical it's more just considering all these elements figuring out like what do you know what do I know I don't know and then what what are the things I don't even know I don't know until we run into it the great thing about this job is that I'm surrounded by career civil servants, uh-huh. people who have been on the job, even, you know, for two, somewhere between two years and 20 years, right? Probably have appreciation for those appreciation people. Appreciation for those folks. We have such a great government, y'all, like really, really do. We have, because government ultimately is just a bunch of people. It is. And the bunch of people we have, <clears throat> they're, they're dedicated. They know um, their job. They are responsive, which is amazing. Uh, I'll tell you this right now. My favorite part of this job is that anytime I have a question, I can go to the top of the food chain of whatever that subject is and get my and answers. Get your yeah, answers. that's cool. If I had a question about something going on in the Lexington Police Department, I don't have to call the general number. I text you know Chief who, Weathers. You know who to right? reach. I can, I can text you know, our commissioner of law if I have a legal question. Oh, and, and wonderful and, people. I know both and, of those. Yeah. yeah. And, they're, and it's amazing because it's like you can get great answers and if they don't have the answers they'll send you to the right people and i've been able to utilize that too with constituents as Mm -hmm. well i've had just random some of them sometimes friends sometimes just complete strangers they'll dm me on instagram and Mm -hmm. say i I got this one recently um after the windstorm there was an electric pole that had fallen on their street it was in on the sidewalk but there were like power lines and wires on her road that were still connected so that when cars drove over them, they kind of I think of I buckled, may know where that one was. Yeah. Right? And they wrote me on Instagram. I said, okay, uh, copy and paste this. Write me in my official email. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I send it along to our commissioner of environmental quality and public works. And I send it to our head of streets and roads. And within a couple of days, they had talked to KU. They had figured it out. The wires were gone. Yeah. And See, oh, and what that, a sense of accomplishment. Right? And, yeah. and it, it yeah. feels like a small little tiny thing. But it's, it's but on the street. Everybody was help. responsive. Nobody said, you know, I'm a big shot and this is not my problem. Everybody was Pitched immediately in, responsive. Pitched in, care of the most important things. What do, you, what do you think are the biggest issues facing 
Kentucky businesses, restaurants, storefronts, small businesses? That's a good question, guys. And also, let's talk a little bit of recipes in the next segment. We yeah. got maybe we could keep Dan for a little bit. Extra. Yeah, let's keep Do Dan on the next Dan? segment. Sure. You know, let's okay. talk a little bit of ramen and, and follow yeah. that up, guys. Yeah. This is a Food News and Chews brought to you by Sullivan University and Azora Food Group. We'll be back. All right, guys, back with Food News and Chews. Sylvia Lovely, Chef Jeremy, and we got Council Member Dan Wu with us here. Uh, Sylvia, we're grilling him. <laughs> yeah, we're we're diving into the conversation here. I got plenty yeah. of questions, but Sylvia had one. Yeah, um, I know that one of your interests, among so many, mm-hmm. is con- uh, Lexington's small businesses. They're the heartbeat of our community. We know that, and big stuff's important too. But I do think there's room for improvement in our small businesses and how to support them. What are the biggest issues that are facing not only restaurants, but all those little places that employ, you probably know the statistics off the top of your head, you know, the people, just the day-to-day life of small business. What are we facing? I, I mean, if, if, the, if the last couple of years of COVID has shown us anything, like the, the folks that are the independent operators, the mom and pops, not the chains, not the people with, you know, um, you know publicly traded mm-hmm. companies, like these folks have had it the worst um, because they don't have the stores of savings to, 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 to get them through these hard times. They're living paycheck to paycheck, you know, um, receipt to receipt. And so I think the, the hardest thing right now is inflation has been huge in terms of just driving all the costs of everything up, mm-hmm. everything from food to to-go cups, you yeah. know. Uh, labor is really, really tough. And that this is a really interesting issue that I don't have a great answer for because, you know, there, there's this whole notion out there that folks are saying like, oh, people just don't want to work anymore. Mm. It's like, well, people don't want to work really terrible long hours for really low pay and nor should they, right? And so I think the first year of COVID, first two years probably, made a lot of people just kind of open up, especially, you know, I I remember reading an article about restaurant workers, how for some of them, this was the first time they had more than three days off in a row. And it was brought on by being laid off. Yeah. And they never knew what it was like to (laughs) to, to spend a week at home with their kids. Yeah. And so when things started coming back, they're like, I don't want to come back to this. True. You know what I mean? And so we have to, I don't know what this looks like. There's hopefully greater minds than mine working on this, but we have to find a new paradigm, um, especially in retail and restaurants. Like partly is like, I think Americans expect a ton of food on their plate for very little money. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you do that? If you're McDonald's, you have economies of scale, you control a lot of your own sourcing, things like that, you're paying these low wages, like you can make that happen. For an independent restaurant, if you wanna pay your employees a living wage, it's hard to be cheap on your price tag, but then people are like, oh, this restaurant's so expensive. It's like- We're not making any money yet. Yeah, you're barely sort of eking by. So. I feel like to some degree we need almost a cultural shift of like this is what food is actually worth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, that that may be on on the horizon. Uh, And I think Mm -hmm. uh, I've been battling with these issues for for years and years. And there's there's things I hate about our industry. And I think the industry is kind of looking at itself as a whole. Mm. But we do need the consumer and the American population and population across the world to kind of realize that you're really not paying for the food Mm. you're paying you know the hamburger costs different at mcdonald's than it does at azor Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, for a, a lot of different reasons, quality, whatever. But overall, the overhead, just the, the mm-hmm. way the business runs, I think that's what we need people to look at is like, I'm going there and this is what it costs to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what it costs to, to have a good time at this place, not mm-hmm. not the what you're paying for the pasta dish or the cream sauce. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, you can't compare them apples and apples to, yeah. to other it's, businesses. It's, it's You're paying for, I mean, the thing that I always try to remind folks is like we're in the hospitality industry uh, i'm going to continue to say we even though I'm yeah you're kind in kind of you know you're one of us we'll take you yeah thank you back uh, <laughs> uh we're in the hospitality industry we're not in just the food preparation industry where we're selling experiences we're selling um that's right you know and the other thing that i think is not acknowledged and people don't know is what restaurants have to go through, mm. and, and every industry does, whether it's a hair salon or whatever mm-hmm. it is. There are regulations they have to meet, oh, yeah. and those are challenging. I mean, you've got health department rules, yes. and you get put on that list, and all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. it's scary when maybe it was just a spoon left out, and you know, <laughs> or you have just issues that are that are really. You know, like I know, and and I want to put in a plug for the Kentucky League of Cities. Mm -hmm. Fabulous organization. Mm -hmm. I led it for 30 years, but J.D. Cheney is brilliant. And I know that they are advocating for a restaurant tax. Well, Mm -hmm. everybody goes apoplectic about that, and maybe Mm -hmm. you too do. But how do you, you know, the policy issues there, you know, or health department regulations and educating people about what all of these things mean? and. You know, it's it's just challenging when you're on the street. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess from a, a business owner, whenever whenever government kind of encrenches on what we do, it it mm-hmm. does seem you know oppressive. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there are certain things that you know small businesses simply just can't afford, especially like a restaurant tax. I mean, where does mm-hmm. that come from? We have to figure that out if that comes into effect. And their argument is it brings more business in. Now, is yeah. that a valid? argument or not i don't know I, w- I would say like what i would love to see is for us to differentiate because not all restaurants are created equal mm-hmm. right that's right uh and there's a big difference between a mcdonald's franchise or an applebee's uh and and an azure you know what i mean like there it's a completely different sort of scale and i don't know if there's a way you know, I'm not in Frankfurt. I'm thankful not to be in Frankfurt, honestly. Um, but I don't know if there's a way to be able to differentiate between right. those because those are two very different entities. They are. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's right. And it, it pay of employees, <laughs> tips, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. All of those things are very complex mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. how you pay your employees, for instance. It, well, you know, it, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. Like I said, it feels oppressive. But on the other sense, I almost, as a business owner, am <laughs> dependent in looking for an answer from, from government on some regulation, how to do the tipping, how to do mm-hmm. wages. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole tippable position in yeah. general because is a broken model. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they solved it in Europe by paying mm-hmm. a living wage and not doing tippable positions, but that doesn't jive here. But, you yeah. know, there's lawsuits about that. Yeah. And government does have maybe, I mean, y'all are short on funds always, right? <laughs> but, you know, maybe having more the ability to be the overseer of the bigger picture and do the research and all of those kinds of things that can lead to solutions because it's not like we're unique. We're suffering from kind of general things that other people are suffering That's from right. as well. Right. And maybe that does, I guess it's kind of what the association business does, but we really don't have that here in this area. Gotcha. Yeah. And we've, got, we've got independent restaurant coalition, but we don't, you know, sometimes, uh, and oh, I can't remember the other one, 
the National Restaurant Association. Right, and the Kentucky Restaurant Association. Yeah, and, and certain who ones. Who do good work. And, I, and I'm not speaking work. specifically about any of them, but sometimes some of these organizations, they represent the big players. And very often, like Chambers of Commerce and, and folks like that, they do represent the big players. Mm-hmm. And all those little players get left out of the conversation because we don't have the lobby, you know, to, right. to lobby for. And, you know, and, and it's it's like herding cats, right? It's, it's a lot of independent players mm-hmm. who, you know, don't necessarily speak to each other like the CEO of McDonald's and Wendy's might. You know what I mean? One of the things that I have always said, and I'll say this is just me, okay, um, associations will also tend to just be in Frankfurt because they have to be. I mean, it's like you're under threat, right, when, sure. you know, you might consider it under threat if, you know, you know that some legislation's coming. But what, you know, I would like to see more banding together of mm-hmm. our local folks and with action steps that maybe don't have anything to do with frankfurt maybe they really are just very basic issues like parking (laughs) you know (laughs) is that an important thing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and definition of what makes a restaurant successful or not Mm -hmm. um yeah that that i i would definitely want to see that cohesion and coherence amongst uh independent restaurateurs and and it's been tried several times i think the overall problem is during normal business hours a restaurateur yeah, can't get away and meet it's <laughs> just, and we have a perfect meeting place but we'll never be able to sit yeah, down and never sit be on mondays just have to be on mondays right <laughs> um so we've talked about enough heavy stuff yeah yeah we need to move uh, on to ramen <laughs> i, I want to talk a little ramen because yes. you know dan dan's a master at, at the broth he's a master at ramen and you know we haven't really talked through how to make a good ramen stock so let's bring up old stuff yeah and let's let our listeners have a recipe on how they're going to build a a nice solid yeah true bowl of ramen at home within a reasonable amount of time yeah well see that's that's the balance ramen is one of those foods that's really really hard to get right at home because you don't have the Uh scale for it you're not going to spend 12 hours making a broth that's going to make you four bowls Right, and we're in, in, or are you going to go and spend, you know, get 50 pounds of bones to, Correct. to make a good Correct. broth? Yeah. So I, I think there are good sort of shortcuts that you can uh, work your way through. I love at, um, you know, when I go to the grocery store, finding, if I can, like neck bones. Yeah. Uh, and those sort of cheap cuts that, that you wouldn't necessarily, like, eat as a meal, mm-hmm. uh, those are great for, for broths. Um, next time you get a rotisserie chicken, save those oh, bones, put yeah. them in a Ziploc, throw them mm-hmm. in the freezer, uh, your Thanksgiving turkey. You know, I was cleaning out my deep freeze the other day, and I was like, what year is this turkey, these turkey bones from? But it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, and, and I think the, the ones I had in particular were smoked. Actually, that was an accidental thing that I came across mm-hmm. when I was developing my broth. Yeah. Is I had, I think at home, I had thrown in some uh, turkey bones that happened to be smoked. And mm-hmm. it just gave it just a little extra something. Oh, and I yeah. was like, okay. So when I started getting my bones from uh, Marksbury Farm, I was like, can I? Can you give me half and half pork bones, half raw, half smoked? And that was a little secret ingredient and mm-hmm. just gave it an extra little something. So at the shop, we did about a 12-hour stock. We nice. had this big, giant pot. Uh, we had a combination of um, uh, pork and chicken bones, uh, and we got, I think we got these basically like chicken carcasses, uh, frames, basically mm-hmm. from, um, uh, I'm blanking on the name Oh, Critchfield or you, whatever, any yeah. of the major companies. The, the one on Virginia. Uh, oh, what, the, Virginia? The, on Virginia Avenue near Limestone. It'll come to me. Um, but anyway, a bunch of bones. We have all your typical aromatics, your, your carrot, um, 
uh, scallion onions, uh, big old things of garlic. Uh, I'm a huge fan of peeled garlic whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had kombu, which is dried seaweed. We had shiitake mushrooms in there. Ooh, the mushroom adds that umami factor. Yeah. And back to your smoke, yeah. I mean, that's that's a dynamic flavor to add to a ramen broth. You don't typically look for smoke when you're eating a soup, but it really yeah. does add a whole other depth and dimension and stratification yeah. to it. Like addition of a few strips of smoked bacon or a smoked ham hock yes. could really yeah. change the game for you. Yeah, and wow. it's those... It's those subtle things where the diner can't identify what the flavor is. They can't put their finger out. That's familiar, yeah. but I don't yeah. know what it is. That's the extra piece that makes you stand out. Yeah. It yeah. really is. It's just like anytime I'm eating something, I'm always trying to figure out like what's in it. And when I can't figure it out, that's when kind of the, the, there's the magic. So I would say, um, you know, get a big old pot, um, throw in your old rotisserie bones, um, your, your neck bones, whatever. Uh, let that go for a while. Uh, so my base broth isn't salted at all. It's just, and then you go low and slow, mm-hmm. uh, covered, and just kind of let it go. Um, in you know, some people want to skim off some of the, the the sort of the scum from the meat and stuff in the first couple of goes. I just kind of go with it. Yeah. And then at the end, everything gets strained multiple times. Right. So you get this nice clear broth. And then you know, for for folks at home, like use what you're going to use that night. Uh, or the next day, and then save the rest, put them in like little single quart containers and throw them in your freezer. That way you just reheat one at a time if you're just making soup for one, Mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to reheat like a big old old thing. I love that too. And then uh, this is one of the things I I like about, you know, what he talked about leaving some of the fat on, you know, the Mm. schmaltz, the chicken fat and stuff like that. After you cool it down, you've got that cap that that'll be solidified at the top. Just scrape that off and use it to saute stuff. Like it's not a wasteful thing. It's full of flavors that are gonna permeate into your dish. Can you use that on something other than ramen noodles? Yeah, yeah, that fat, yeah, just use it like you would like canola or olive oil in the skillet. It's so good, you know, or just add a little pop. So, do you, you do you flavor yours with ginger at all, or is that yes, kind of, yeah, ginger yeah. is in there as well, in big old chunks. And do you season it all with soy, or you said you kept it so, pretty unseasoned? So we we did it separately. So traditionally in ramen, you have the base broth, and then you have what's called tare, T A R E, and that's your flavor component. So you would have shoyu tare, which is soy sauce, miso tare, mm-hmm. uh, shio tare, which is salt base, and and a bunch of other different ones. And then so you, you add a proportion of that to your bowl to flavor it. So you have the base richness of that chicken and pork broth, and then you add whatever the flavor component is. I like and it. it's about just figuring out. So for us, we figured out what the ratio was, and so we would fill you know, where we're ladling the broth out, they were six or eight quart containers. And then for every one of those, we put in X amount of cups yeah. of the tare. Okay. Uh, so at home, I think you just season to taste basically mm-hmm. until you figure way. it out. And I would recommend too, like I know most people who cook at home, you just kind of w- are winging it. But what happens is the next time you do it, you're like, what did I do last <laughs> time that was so great? Yeah, that's true. And so anytime you can, like when I do recipe development, I'll have a notepad and I'll write, and you actually like write it two down. tablespoons yeah. of blank and then I add it and I taste it and be like, nope, okay, two and a half tablespoons. Cross that out. Keep now it's two and a half. Keep tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. And then when you but get to it. Keep a record. Keep a record. And you're like, okay, I got this. And then the test is the next time you go with what you wrote down and see if it hits. Mm-hmm. And usually it does. And so even at, even at home, it's not a huge piece of labor for you to kind of just write some stuff down. 
but that way you can replicate the magic if you make it really well. That's, that's is, the secret to building. Is there a place in right. town where you can get ramen now? There is, isn't there? There are. There are two new, newish places. There's a place called Ume on South Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, near DV8, and yeah. then there's Zundo near um, Bellanote out yes. uh, by the mall. So, noodles. Yes. So I, I don't know. I, I've I've kind of searched the world. I've had fresh ones. The you know the best fresh ones I had are right here locally, like some pasta, which right. I think you guys did. Yep. And I think did they have an alkaline component to that? Did yes. they put some soda in so it had a bite and chew to it? Yes. Beyond that. I'm familiar with Asian markets. I go to all of them in town because it's my favorite thing to do. Yeah, so many hang out in now. Asian markets, right? Yeah, they're good. yeah there are so a bunch. Good. I think I passed one the other day. Yeah. I found a couple frozen fresh ramen noodle packs. Eh, they're okay. Yeah. Quite frankly, my favorite ones are the dried puck that come out of a packet. I don't mm. use the mm. seasoning or anything, right. but the actual noodle itself, maybe it's nostalgia. The ones you buy in the grocery yes. store? Yeah. So can I? where can I find, if I wanted to have a, a fancier noodle than that beyond Lexington Pasta, do you know of any good shops to get a, a solid ramen noodle itself? That's, that's a tough one, too. Honestly, Lexington Pasta is the, the best that I've found. Yeah, it's a benchmark. Um, if, you're, if you're willing to go kind of hardcore down this adventure and uh-huh. be like a, like a serious amateur about it, um, call up Lexington Pasta and say, I want to buy X number of pounds sure. of your ramen noodle. They have a thick kind and a thin kind. They'll portion it to you in quarter pound um, increments. Take them home, freeze them in bags yeah. one at a time, and they they um, they cook up just fine fresh or from frozen mm-hmm. as long as they're not freezer burned. Um, that's probably the best way to go. And like you, like you know, adventures in dry noodle hunting is kind of tough. It's kind of tough. It's very, it's very sort <laughs> Dry of noodle hunting. But, well, because I can't read the packages anyway, so right, I don't know, right. I don't know if I'm yeah. getting a different Well, to me, to me, the most fun part of it, I think the, the noodles are an important part of it, but where you can have fun, if you have a good base, if, if the broth and the flavor component is good, the noodles, to me, like, get whatever you can find. And then the rest of it is just like having fun with adding stuff in there. Yeah. Um, like anybody can make just a, a regular instant ramen, use the package, whatever, and then throw an egg in at the last minute. Throw I some think scallions. people don't know they can do that. Like it's it's every ramen yeah. when I grew up was just the bowl and the soup. Right? And that's yeah. fantastic. I love it, yeah. right? But guys, yeah, open up your fridge and just start throwing stuff yeah. in the bowl. You probably have a, a, a half-used bag of frozen spinach you in do. the back of your freezer. Yeah, I There's do have little that. Little stuff. Finger carrots you've got. Yeah, you've got egg. Toss them in there. Egg is perfect. Basically, on the egg, just drop one in there and then turn off your heat. Yeah. And then you can kind of swirl it around. Um, but kind of anything you have in the fridge, you can just kind of dump in there. And mm-hmm. it, it'll just add dimension. It'll add textures in there. Uh, I've thrown romaine lettuce in there. Sure. You know, just any, you know, if you've got, you know, salad greens are about to go bad, toss them in there. Arugula is great. It's a catch-all. And, you know, it's one of those things where you can clean out your fridge every week and the kids are going to like it, which I'm go. always looking towards that. But That's yeah. a great idea. Clean, clean out the out, fridge. Clean and out yeah. ramen. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad oh, I've, I, I, I asked the right question because I was on the search for the noodle, but I'll just stop where I started, which is like an impossible. We'll let those oh, guys do great it. Place. Yeah, great place. Yeah, great to see you. Yeah. Well, Dan, it's been awesome. Uh, our guest has been Dan Wu, president of city council here in Lexington. Uh, Sylvia is mm-hmm. with me, and I'm Chef Jeremy Ashby. We're going to be back Thank next week. So for more food news and choose fun dan don't be a stranger absolutely uh let's talk soon and we'll see you guys next week guys thank you yeah